open to Matthew chapter 4. Now, I do want to, we're going to do our theme verse. You guys still got that back there? Um, this is our theme for the year. We're not, I'm not preaching out of Ephesians any longer, but our, our series and the culture we're really trying to establish here still remains. This is a big reason we will never cancel church, by the way. Look at this. Uh, are you ready to read it together? Okay, one, two, three. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's household. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to begin at verse 23. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. His fame went throughout Syria, and they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Oh my goodness. Well, let's, let's pray and let's ask the Lord's hand on this message. Jesus, I, I just thank you for your word. And God, I'm just asking for a great anointing to be released today. Lord, I, I want so much more than just a, a good sermon or a teaching to come forth today. I pray in the very same way, mighty God, that you not only taught and you preached, but you saw, we saw demonstration of miracles through your ministry. People healed and demons cast out and, and paralyzed walking and epileptics restored. Lord, I, I'm just asking that the very same way you moved in this time, you would move today. I believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you could do it at that time, you can do it in this time. And so, Lord, we commit this service to you. I pray, breathe on this message by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let an anointing rest upon each and every one of us. Open our eyes and open our heart to receive what your Spirit is speaking in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, you may be seated. I've entitled this message... Jesus the Influencer. Jesus the Influencer. You all know what an influencer is, right? Uh, you know, somebody I, I saw made a, made a joke the other day. They said that Jesus was like the ultimate millennial. He lived with his parents till he was 30. He gained 12 followers and decided to become an influencer. Now, isn't that true? Now, you think about this. Now, here's what's amazing, though. We know, without a doubt, Jesus was legit an influencer. I mean, there's no question about it. He's still influencing us today. What he started 2,000 years ago is still shaping lives and transforming, and it's, I mean, it's the reason we're here. Absolutely. And some of you, you, like, how did he do that? You ever wonder that? 
Like, what was the secret sauce that Jesus had in, in, in the things, in the way that he gained this momentum, in the, in the things that he did? I'm, I'm always interested in success stories. I don't know about you. I'm always interested in what, you know, how did this leader become what they are today? You know, I, I love looking at, you know, like, how did Disney or, or Apple or whatever company it might be become what it is and what we recognize today? Or how did a certain nation rise to power? I, I always love seeing these, uh, you know, these success stories and all of this. And, of course, I've got an interest in churches in particular. But what I've discovered is, you know, you can go and, you know, boy, this guy says that this is a good model to grow your church. And this guy says this is a good model to grow your church. But at the end of the day... The Lord has done something unique in every body that is in existence. And at the end of the day, there are just a few basic things that I think if we would embrace and we would walk in, God will give us influence. Do you ever pray for influence, by the way? Reinhard Bonnke, he, he said that you ought to pray for influence with those who have influence. Pray for influence with those who have influence. And so I pray that way every single day. And this is the reason why. Do you know that even the way the gospel broke out in Hawaii, there were missionaries who came here. And they began to minister initially to the locals, right? They came in on the boats and they'd minister right there on the beaches and they'd witness to people and they saw a few but very few people born again. But they began to pray and God gave them influence with the influencers of that day. They began to see royalty in some of the ruling chiefs saved and born again. And what happened is when some of these ruling chiefs, uh, when they began to get saved and they decided to be born again, guess what? Their entire, the, the entire region and area decided we ought to come on board with this thing too. And that's where we began to see revival break out historically in these islands nearly 200 years ago. It's absolutely incredible. So God gave influence over those or with those who had influence. And we need to pray for that very same thing. But you'll notice here that Jesus had a few simple things that he did. And I think this is going to help us. I want you to lock in because you ever wonder, like, why, why, do we, why do we preach every Sunday? Why do we encourage life groups? Or why do, why do we encourage serving in the house of God? Or why do, we, why do we have healing ministry and the laying on of hands? Why do we do that every service instead of just like when a healing evangelist comes? There are certain things that Jesus did that gave him influence. In fact, the Bible even uses the word fame. He became famous in all of the region and area that was all around him. And, and I'm just telling you guys, I'm living to make Jesus famous. I'm living to see God be the greatest influencer on Kona, on our island, in our state. Uh, that, that's what I desire. And I believe that if we follow the model of Jesus, we can see some of those things transpire. Now, I will also say, I think this is a great model for your personal family. I think this is a great model for uh, for your business, and, and, and I'll talk about that a little bit. Three things. If you're taking notes, I've got three points this morning. Three things that Jesus did that gave him great influence. He would teach, he would preach, and he would heal. Jesus would teach, he would preach, and he would heal. I want everybody to say those three words with me. Come on, he would what? 
That's right. He would teach, he would preach, and he would heal. Now look again here. At verse 23, it says, Jesus went all about Galilee teaching in their synagogues. This is the first thing we're going to talk about. Jesus was mindful of not just the crowds that gathered around him, but you see very often he would teach in a small group. I, I like the word disciple. He had disciples that he was raising up. He would encourage these individuals, not just, you know, you see very often he would have a teaching that he would do to a massive crowd of people, and then he would sit down around a campfire with his 12 and explain to them, teach them, Here's what I was talking about back there. And this is how he began to disciple. Now, let me, can I teach you for a minute here? I'm going to teach you some stuff. What in the world is a synagogue? Now, this is, this is an interesting kind of thing. What happened is, um, you know, where it began, the scholars aren't really sure. You don't see synagogues in the Old Testament. But by the time Jesus comes around, there were a lot of synagogues. Well, where in the world did they begin? Uh, there were prophetic schools we know we see that with Elijah and he started that but in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament they had a temple all right so you have temple and you have many synagogues you have one temple and you have many synagogues I'm just going to try and paint a picture the temple is where they had the sacrifices that's where they had the bull and the ornaments and they had the ark of the covenant and uh, um, you know all the different courtyards you know the court of the gentile and the and, and they would have the inner court and they would have the most holy place and and on and on I've done teaching on this before three times a year Everybody would gather at the temple for various purposes. They would gather, first of all, for the Feast of Passover. We actually still celebrate this today as Easter. This is the time where God was delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. Judgment was coming upon the lamb, but he told them, if you will take the blood of a lamb, apply it to the doorpost, I will pass over. Death will pass over your entire household. And, uh, and we know that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh released them, crossing of the Red Sea. Powerful, powerful story. And it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. If we apply the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to our life, death and sin will pass over us and we can enter into promise. You see the picture. That's Easter. We celebrate it still today. Of course, then they would gather together. The second festival is Passover. Uh, and they, or I'm sorry, Pentecost. I already said Passover. They would gather together for Pentecost. And that was when they celebrated both the giving of the law to Moses and they would celebrate the harvest that was coming in for the year. It was a wonderful time of celebration. But what we celebrate, of course, we know Pentecost today for most people carries a very different term. It was during this very same festival. You'll see God has a calendar, by the way. It was during this very same festival that the Lord poured out his spirit upon all flesh. The law that was written on stone tablets, he prophesied through Ezekiel and others that one day I'm going to write it on the, on the tablets of your heart. And so that's exactly what he did. We've received now the Holy Spirit, and that's what we still celebrate as Pentecost. We are right now entering into this time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, this is, uh, again, this was another, this was the second harvest time. 
Uh, this is where I believe, uh, uh, personally, I believe this is Jesus will return during this season one year. I believe this is where the second coming will take place. And this is when we celebrate uh, Yom Kippur. That's when they would offer the yearly atonement sacrifice where they would come into the temple they would sacrifice the the animal and it would atone for the sins of the entire nation that would happen during this time of year and so uh, all of that being said now i just want you to think about because it's cool what the lord has done in this day you look in dr morocco has actually the reason that we have three conferences a year and that we, the way that we schedule those conferences is actually around those three festivals. And three times a year, we encourage as many people as we can, which is why we've got 50 people, actually 49. We need one more to sign up. We've got 49 people who have said, we'll go to Maui this year. And we all gather together at the temple. No, it's not the temple, but it's, a, you know, the cathedral. And we gather together at the cathedral three times a year. And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. Now, you may wonder. So that's the temple. Did you guys get a little bit of the picture? Now, you might wonder. How do these guys worship when it's not those three times a year? Where do they go? What do they do? Well, for people that didn't live near the temple, the way they would worship, the way they would study, is if you had ten men, this is Jewish tradition now, if you had ten or more individuals who were willing to commit themselves, then they could establish a synagogue in their area. And so it's, it's kind of like a church planting thing, isn't it? Hey, we've got some people that would love to worship the Lord over in Hilo. Let's start to gather some people. We've got more than 10. We've got actually nearly 30 who've been gathering for the last number of weeks. It's a, it's a real joy. That's the starting of a church. So you see, even the Bible talks about the establishing. And we know this became a a big thing because by the time Rome conquered Jerusalem, there were over 400 synagogues just in the area, just in the region of Jerusalem. Absolutely amazing. And this is where Jesus' ministry began. I want you to think about this. A lot of people just think, you know, Jesus was just hanging out, uh, you know, doing, you know, wilderness meetings or whatever, camp meetings, tent meetings. No, Jesus began in the synagogue. He began with people who were committed to the body of God. Who, these who were serious about seeing the kingdom established on the earth. And it shares what did he do when he gathered in the synagogue. Well, he would teach, he would, what is it, preach, and he would heal. Now, teaching is a little different than preaching. Teaching is typically with a smaller crowd, uh, and in fact, you would see Jesus preach to a crowd, and then he would pull his disciples on the side, and they would go deeper. Um, teach could be used interchangeably with the word disciple. Everybody say disciple. It's very important. Jesus was a disciple maker. And you'll see that this is incredibly important because there's a time that you'll observe in the ministry of Jesus that uh, what happens is Jesus, he, he, begins to pre, he begins to teach, and it's kind of offensive at some point in time. In, Ma in John chapter 6, you'll notice there's a point in time where he is he's teaching the people. And he goes through one of his I am statements. I did a whole series called I am. And there were seven times that Jesus made the claim to be 
God. Every time he said, I am, he was using the very same phrase in the very same picture as the burning bush when God spoke to Moses, I am that I am. And seven times Jesus made statements about himself that I am the I am. In fact, in, in John, he had just finished multiplying bread. He had this massive crowd, and, he's, and these guys were following him. They wanted more bread. And he said, I am the bread of life. If you want to live, you need to eat me. And then he makes a statement that offends the entire crowd. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. And the people were so offended by the statement that he made, the Bible says that the crowds left him. Now, Jesus, he didn't stop. And now, wait a second, I'm just making an illustration of my shed blood and my broken body. I'm going to die on the cross and ride. He didn't try and explain it. Hey, we're going to do this as we honor communion, as we receive the Lord's Supper. I'm going to institute it in a couple weeks. Just wait. He didn't try and explain himself. But he pulled his disciples together. And he asked them, are you offended? Are you going to leave it as well? And Peter, he says, Lord, where would we go? We've left everything to follow you. You have the words of life. And I'm telling you, church, there was a moment where the crowds left. Where the preaching didn't go real well. I mean, Jesus said exactly what he intended to, but I'm telling you, everybody left. And if Jesus had not been intentional to disciple, his influence would have been over. Teaching and discipleship, I know people get excited. Well, pastor, can I ever have the microphone and preach? Nobody's ever asked me that here. I have had that in other churches, though. I have people, you know, <laughs> i never forget the church we were pastor. I won't even tell you where it was. I could not believe that this happened. We, uh, we were actually, we were setting up before a service. And, uh, and I asked uh, this particular individual, I won't even tell you anything about them. But I, I, I asked this particular individual, hey, would you help us set up a couple chairs? And they said, you know, I don't really feel called to, to serve like that. I'm called to platform ministry. I'm called to platform ministry. Could I preach sometime? And I'm like, sure, yeah. Uh, that didn't happen. I don't think they even came back a second week. I don't know. Uh, this is crazy. I know. We get excited about, boy, I want to talk to a crowd. I want to, I want to have, you know, I want to have great influence, uh, whether it's on social media. Give me a TV show. Give me a spot on the live stream. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a podcast. I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Are you discipling anybody? That's where lasting influence is going to happen, friend. If Jesus, Jesus had a, if Jesus had a moment where everybody leaves him, you think you and I might have moments where the crowds decide, oh, he's not as cool as I thought he was. Think about this. But your disciples will stick close to you. Those whom you have personally invested in will stick close to you. Now, what's amazing, now, can, I, I've done this before. I don't think I've ever done this in Kona. Can I encourage you with some math? I want to encourage you with some math. I want to show you how intentional Jesus was. Because even like talking about the synagogue, sometimes we just like, you, you got to have the understanding of what was actually going on in this day and age. 
And some of the writers, like they're raised in this culture and they assume that we've dug deep and we understand Jewish tradition, and we don't sometimes. There was a concept within the Bible. Now, some of you might want to get like, you know, a pen and paper ready unless you're real good with math. Because I want to I w- I do some math with you. Are you ready for this? I think you're really going to get encouraged. There was a concept that the rabbi, did you know Jesus was a rabbi, by the way? Jesus wasn't just like, you know, some renegade prophet who raised up and was never committed to a church. No, he was a rabbi committed to the synagogues and the temple, and he would decide where he discipled people was in the synagogue. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are all sitting in church today. But you need to go tell some renegade prophet who decides the beach is their church. Go tell him. All right. So what happens is Jesus, uh, the, the rabbis, the way they would instruct people is they would gather together a crowd, minimum 10. And they would gather together at least 10, but sometimes, you know, more than that, Jesus had 12. And what they would do is the rabbi would present a teaching And then they would get together in small groups, typically of two, iron sharpening iron. And so you'd have two individuals who would get together, and they would begin to discuss, okay, the rabbi, the teacher just said this. What do we think about that? And they would begin to work through it, and how do we apply that? And they would pray into those things, and so they'd break off into groups of two. Now, are you ready for the math? If you have 12 disciples, and they break off into groups of two, how many groups do you have? Six. All right. Now, that's pretty easy, right? So if you have six, now, here's the idea Jesus presented throughout his entire ministry, not just to be a disciple, but to make disciples. So he gives instruction to his disciples. Now we have how many groups? Six. Okay, I'll just you stick with me here. And he says, now you go make 12 disciples. And you're going to see where this happened. So, he, he, so what happens if you have six groups of two, and they go and make 12 disciples each? 72. Does that number sound familiar to anybody? In Luke chapter 10, the Bible says that Jesus appointed 72 individuals. Some of you seeing where this is going already. He appointed 72 individuals. He gave them authority to preach and to cast out devils and to do the things that he was doing. And he sent them out in groups of how many? Anybody remember? Two. He sent them out in groups of two to go and to preach and to, and to teach and to heal just as he was doing. So if you have 72 and they are sent out in groups of two, how many do we have? No, we've missed it. If we have 36. Thank you, Jad. We have 36. Okay. But now listen. The original 12 aren't on, off the hook. Now they've equipped and they've released disciples. So what is 36 plus the original 6? How many do we have? 42. Now, 42 groups go make 12 disciples. What do we have? It's getting bigger. 504. Hmm. Yeah, you got it, don't you? 
Do you remember 1 Corinthians 15, 6? Jesus had a meeting with his disciples after he was resurrected from the dead. Does anybody remember how many disciples were present at the discipleship meeting with resurrected Jesus? The Bible says about 500. About 500. You see in this model. They were making this. Now, now it actually keeps on going. What, do you, what happens? So if you have... 500, or if you want to get real technical, 504. Uh, maybe Judas's group fell apart. I don't know. Uh, you have 500. <laughs> 500 divided by 2 is what? 250. And if you multiply that by 12, what do you have? 3,000. 3,000. Hmm. Does anybody remember how many people were added to the kingdom in Acts chapter 2 when the Apostle Paul got up and preached? About 3,000. It actually goes one more. Uh, you know, the next number that we see is like 18,144. I'm not going to go through this whole thing again. The next number we see in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, it says that there was about 4,000 men, not including women and children. If you assume that, uh, you know, most families are a about four, give or take, you're at 20,000. And you'll see over and over. You want to know why Jesus' influence continued to last? It's because he was a discipler. He was intentional not just to preach to the crowds, but to teach in a smaller setting. This is why, friend, I'm telling you, life groups are important. This is why getting involved in a ministry is important because did you know that as our ushers get together, as our security team, as our children's ministry, do you know they're constantly rubbing shoulders and talking with one another? I mean, my wife or my daughter comes home from hula practice. And what have they been doing at hula practice? Not only preparing things, you know, they're doing a dance at the conference, and that's wonderful. They're ministering together. But she comes home and she's sharing testimonies. Auntie Apple said this happened in her family and, and she's just, you know what, you, you know what that is? That's discipleship. That's iron sharpening iron. That's doing life together. It's not just my daughter and Apple sitting in a service hearing the preacher. No, they're actually doing some life together and encouraging one another and praying together. This is, yeah, we're better together. Thank you. We're better together. Get in a life group. Serve in a ministry. Be intentional to reproduce yourself in somebody else. Now, these other ones will go quickly. I know I spent a lot of time kind of laying foundation, but does that, does that help you a little bit? Now, now the Bible says that, um, well, you know, I've really skipped over some things here. So my notes in the Bible app may not make sense here. Um, Number two, the thing that Jesus did, what did he do in order to gain influence? He would preach. He would preach. Everybody say, preach. preach. That's right. We got any preachers in the house? We all ought to be preachers on some level. I'm just going to tell you. He said that he would preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. The go you know, gospel means good news. Everybody say, good news. He would preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. You know, when, when I was receiving the offering today, I was preaching to you good news. If you participate in the kingdom, God's going to take care of your needs. That's good news, friend. Are you broke? 
I've got good news for you. Are you sick in your body? I have good news for you. By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Uh, Are you on your way to hell? I got good news for you. Praise God. Jesus shed his blood and he died for your sins so that you could be born again. I mean, you just, you, you, you pick any area of need. Church, you understand, we're carriers of good news. We're carriers of good news. You meet somebody who's depressed? Hey, I've got good news for you. The Bible says that he wants to take your, your heaviness and give you praise. I mean, there's so many things. I think about this anxiety, and we prayed about this earlier in the service, the, the anxiety and the fear and just all of this, this gripping. Even our kids, man. We went into the school to go yell at the principal the other day. <laughs> and uh, no, I didn't yell. We didn't yell. But it led to why we're starting our own school. Hallelujah. So, uh, but anyway, I, we went into the school. And you know what really kind of made me sad? Is everywhere in that school, what's your anxiety level today? You sat in the counselor's office. How anxious are you today? And it's just, it's just like it's everywhere. I'm just like, oh, I have good news. I have good news. Did you know that when Jesus was in the garden and he was considering the weight of all mankind, I mean, you talk about an anxious or a burdensome situation. Father, if there is any way that this cup can be taken, take it. If there's another way, would you do it, Father? But not my will. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And the Bible says that he was so overwhelmed that his blood, his sweat became as blood coming from his face. He literally shed blood from his face. And I believe it is to cover All of the burdens and all of the anxieties and all of the weight of this world. Jesus shed blood for it. You realize when when the soldiers were, were, they had him seated in a chair, strapped down. They were slapping his face. They put a blindfold on him and they began to mock and insult him. Jesus, if you're a prophet, tell us, whack. Tell us who, who just hit you right there. Tell us who smacked you right there. We're insulting him, mocking him, bullying him, if you will. And they pressed a crown of thorns upon his head. And blood began to spill. Jesus shed blood from his brow. And I believe that's to cover every mental anxiety, every anguish, every insult, every, every verbal abuse that we've received. Listen, friend. You might be in some of those situations. You might be anxious or depressed or burdened or or heavy laden or weighed down with the weight of the world. I have good news for you. Good news. Jesus shed his blood to bring you healing, to bring you freedom, to bring you joy. He shed his blood for it. It's a big deal. We are carriers of good news. Now, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. But how will they call if they don't believe? And how can they believe if they don't hear? And how can they hear without a preacher? I am commissioning you today to be a preacher of the word. When you come into a situation and it's bad news, whatever it may be, I want you to begin to recall 
the good news that you and I have been given. I want you to become a carrier of that good news in situations that are broken and lost and hopeless. And as you release that good news, let's believe for change and transformation to happen. Amen? Now, here's the last thing, and we're going to activate this. We're going to practice this today. Jesus would teach, and he would preach, and number three, what is it? He would heal. He would heal. In verse 23, it says, he went about teaching in the synagogues, preaching the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease, and his fame went throughout all of Syria. They brought him sick people who were afflicted with various diseases, torments, demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytic, and he healed them all. All of them. Now, listen. I'm really trying to behave and not harp on COVID situations, but I see stuff that makes me mad, you know? Like, people saying, if Jesus were here today, Jesus would quarantine Jesus would social distance. Jesus would vaccine. Like, Jesus was a vaccine, man. I, I'm looking at this. I don't know where that came from. But I mean, he was literally walking it, healing, embodied. I mean, that's, that's what he was. And if you think like, you think, okay, Jesus, do you think Jesus would have social distanced? Ask the woman with the issue of blood. Ask those ten lepers who were restored. Uh, you understand. You understand that what that woman did, a woman with a flow of blood of that nature, it was illegal for her to be in a crowd. And it was absolutely illegal for her to touch a rabbi. Because it would have made Jesus, the rabbi, unclean. But here's what's absolutely amazing. I, I, I got a verse I want to share with you. This is so cool. Oh, this is so cool. In Hebrews 7.26, I don't think I put this in your notes. You can write this down. Hebrews 7.26 says, Jesus is a high priest that is holy, he is blameless, he is undefiled, and he is unstained by sin. That's who Jesus is. He is a high priest who is holy, blameless, undefiled, and unstained by sin. You understand, if Jesus was not those things, he could not have died a death that would atone for our sin. He had to be perfect. He had to be unblemished. He had to be untainted. So what happens when a woman who is unclean touches a man who's not supposed to have uncleanness touch him? Well, something's got to give. Something's got to give. And Jesus, holiness embodied, he's not given. The moment that she touches him, the Bible says that the fountain of her blood was dried up. She was completely made whole. Jesus felt power go out from him. Her uncleanness didn't come upon Jesus. No, his virtue, his power went into her. He remained untarnished, unblemished, pure, holy. Same thing. Lepers were supposed to social distance, you realize. They were. They were supposed to come into town. The Bible says that they were supposed to shout as they came into a crowd, unclean, unclean. That way people could literally get away from them. Whoa, they've been, you know, they've got the virus. But Jesus, he didn't distance himself. Boys, put on your masks. Didn't do that. He didn't do that. What did he do? He went on. Now, all right, I'm not going to say anything else. He would go. 
and he would lay his hands upon these horribly unclean lepers, and they were restored. He was not defiled. He was not unclean. They were restored. Now, I just want you to think about, our theme verse says that God is building together a holy people so that we can become a dwelling place for the Lord. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm contending for? I'm contending for moments where people have issues of blood, where they have cancers, where they have mental anguish, where they have demon torment, where they have anything. And as it comes in contact with a holy God in this place, in his holy temple, something's got to give. Something's got to give. And I'm telling you, God in his holiness is not going to bow his knee to sickness or disease, whatever the nature of it is. God's in the healing business. Oh, my goodness. Worship team, will you come? We're going we're to pray for some stuff here. He shed blood for it. Hallelujah. Wow. Hallelujah. The Bible says that he... Healed every sickness and every disease. You know what the difference is between sickness and disease in this passage? Sickness is something that was temporary. The Bible would use the word infirmity. Yeah, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? The Bible would use the word infirmity. And, and it's stuff like this. I got a headache. It's going to go away. My back hurts a little bit. I'll be over it in a couple days. I got a cold. I'll be over it. I got COVID. I'm going to get it over it in a week. Right? And, uh, you know, stuff like that. It's temporary. It's temporary. Disease in this context was a permanent issue. I'm paralyzed. And I'm not, that's not going away. I have leprosy. It's not going away. This is incurable. Uh, there's nothing that can be done about it. But the Bible says that Jesus, whether it was a temporary ailment or whether it was a chronic, whether it was a chronic issue, he healed them all. He healed them all. And that's how I want to pray. You might be here and you've got a chronic issue, terminal cancer, something that the doctor says, no, there's nothing we can do about that. You try and take the edge off of it, but that's just how it's going to be. We're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for the Lord to heal that. And you may be here and you got some little thing that you just, uh, it's just a headache. It's not that big a deal. Listen, he came to heal all sickness. All sickness. And my thing is, man, I don't want to waste a single drop of Jesus' blood. If he shed blood for me to be healed, boy, I think that would be a disgrace if I just, well, Jesus, I'll be over it later. I'll just take some ibuprofen. Oh, come on, man. Let's be healed. Let's be healed. What I want to do is, if you're here today, we're going to take a moment and we're going to worship. we still got about 10 minutes here. And um, I want to take a moment. And if you need healing, we're going to pray for healing and believe for healing. We've seen tremendous miracles happen even over the year. We're, we're approaching a year now that we've been a church. I'm telling you, we've seen some amazing issues. Chronic cancer healed. And people with digestive issues healed. 
seen people, I mean, all kinds of stuff. We, we need to put together some kind of testimony video or something like that. We've seen miracles, miracles. We're going to see some miracles today. So if you're here and, and you need healing in your body, whether it's a chronic issue or whether it's just, you know, a temporary sickness or ailment, I want you to step out from your seat and I want you to join us right down here at the altar and we're going we're gonna to pray for you personally. Come on. Thank you.